Today's episode of Transform Your Workplace is brought to you by Zenium HR. Learn more about Zenium's complete HR plus payroll solution at zeniumhr.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by swag.com, and you'll have an opportunity to learn more about swag.com about halfway through the show, and we even have a special offer for you, so stay tuned for that. I had a great conversation with Christine Zorek for today's episode. Christine is the founder and CEO of White Label Advisors, and in this episode, we're tackling a few different topics, mainly we discuss gender equality and how most organizations are missing the mark, what gaps exist, barriers to achieving gender equality. And then we tackle the topic of women in leadership and specifically about women. How can they navigate existing power structures that are in place? And what skills women should acquire to help them long-term position themselves to lead? And lastly, we talk about the state of HR and how you can structure an HR department accordingly to gain trust across the whole organization. So you're going to hear a lot in this episode, a lot of great stuff from Christine. I hope you really enjoy it. This kind of stuff is the important stuff. So I'm glad that I had Christine on the show. Make sure to connect with me. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. I love hearing from listeners how you're liking the show. And make sure to connect with Christine as well. All the links for Christine's social media and website, all in the show notes. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. Hey, Christine, thanks for coming on the show. Good to have you. Hey, Brandon. Yeah, of course. Very happy and excited to be here. So thanks for the opportunity to join you. Of course. So I wanted to talk about gender equality first. You got some good content on this. Uh, I'm curious what data or evidence we might have in the industry about whether or not we're missing the mark when it comes to gender equality, whether it's pay, promotion, attrition within organizations, anything that would lead us to believe that we're just completely off on equality. Yeah, I, I'm really happy that we're discussing this topic. You know, it's highly relevant and a lot of people are impacted by it. Um, so as far as data in the marketplace within our business community, absolutely. I'm often reviewing reports that talk about female to male uh, wages comparably. Uh, you know, we still f- see females trending lower. Diverse categories within genders are trending lower. It's absolutely relevant, and I think it will be for a long time. There's a data group called Revelio Labs, and their CEO, Ben, posts some really interesting content on LinkedIn that's pointing directly to the data. And you know, I've commented on a few of his posts because, you know, one of them was kind of the the pay disparity between genders and how do we achieve equality there. And I think we need to take a historical look at, you know, where women generally have come from. Not even a hundred years ago, 
women could not purchase their own homes, right? They could not qualify for loans. And, you know, if we go back further in history, uh, you know, women couldn't even inherit. And I think a really kind of fun fact is the phrase diamonds are a girl's best friend didn't come from the fact that jewelry is beautiful or pretty. (laughs) It came from the fact that jewelry was the only item that women could continue to own that had value that they could sell if they were widowed or if they chose to divorce. It was the only thing they could take with them. I think, you know, it's a really interesting historical um, look back into how far women have come. Yet why I think there's still some discrimination within our pay practices and even leadership practices, because women were not equal for a very, very long time. And it's only within the last, you know, 75 years, maybe 100 years, you could argue within voting that they they had more kind of respectable equality. And that certainly plays into where we're at today. Yeah, it's interesting when you put it that way and look at it from a historical context, it's like women have come a long way and our workplaces have come a long way. But to me, it doesn't feel like fast enough. And I'm sure for you, it just feels like there's so, so much further to go. Is that how you feel? Yeah, absolutely. We definitely have so much progress to make and it takes both men and women at the table to make that happen. And I believe we have very complementary characteristics and attributes that can really help accelerate this, you know, if we have the right mindset um, and really come to the table together. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited for the future. I'm excited for helping drive this and helping create better equality and, you know, eventually getting to that equitable space where we can just be equals at the table by way of comp, by way of representation and leadership and on the boards. So yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. You mentioned um, the, seat at the table and pay. Do you think those are the biggest gaps when it comes to achieving quality with uh, women amongst men and leaders? Yeah, I'm, I, you know, I, I think so. And to unpack that a little bit, uh, because we still have, you know, primarily non-diverse executive teams, non-diverse boards, there's opportunity there to continue training, to continue a level of intellectual humility and understanding from these non-diverse groups about how to interact and work with diverse groups, not only in gender, but, you know, within kind of ethnicity and even cultures, you know, within our business communities, there are differences in our communication styles, in our work patterns, and in our kind of career history, because more diverse talent Um, They have shorter tenures at companies because if you think about, you know, sticking with a company because you feel like you belong and that you have a high degree of trust and connection, you know, it's hard to have four diverse groups when maybe there just isn't, you know, good understanding there yet. So again, I I think it's finding the opportunity with, you know, the current leadership, current representation to provide additional education and, and training and understanding around that. And I think by people understanding each other, that's where we're going to see the most gain. If you look at where we're at right now, what barriers exist in the workplace to preventing the equality that we're trying to achieve? Like, I mean, we have the knowledge and the tools right now. Like, why couldn't we just flip a switch and, and make everybody equal? Like, there's got to be barriers that exist somewhere. What, what are those? Absolutely. I think as humans, within our behavioral patterns and habits, we tend to gravitate towards people that we're most comfortable with. And we're still seeing that happening within our talent acquisition recruiting processes. You know, we're still kind of networking in our friend circles and not looking outwardly to creative talent pools. And people gravitate to who they 
again, kind of relate the most to. And, and we have to move beyond that. Um, I think also within our, our leadership teams, we really need to do a better job of kind of development and, and training around that. Because if we look statistically where we had these very steep drop-offs within our, you know, kind of a diverse talent pool, we're seeing 23 to 24% drop-off in mid-level management up to leadership. And then we lose any type of representation and leadership again. And so, but it, it's going to comfort levels. It's going to communication styles. You know, with my firm, we have some really fantastic clients, but over and over I hear executives say, well, you know, we don't love how they present the information or they're not thinking about it in the right way. They're thinking about it differently. They're talking about it differently. They're communicating differently. And as a female in business, you know, even last year, you know, with some of my male counterparts and colleagues, they were wanting me to talk differently. You know, I can understand to a point, do I need to refine? Do I need to provide the information a different way so it could be better understood? But just with my own speech patterns and vernacular, why do I need to speak differently? I'm not a guy. I'm not going to say things like a guy and I'm not going to change, you know, to, to be more male oriented so that they are comfortable. Um, and I think we have to move beyond that. It's interesting just in this conversation because I'm like, I can't relate a whole lot because I've worked for Zenium, the company I work for, for 14 years now. And it's primarily women driven. I'm I'm one of two males on a senior leadership team and six women. And so I know what the benefits of having women in leadership roles are. And I'm like, if organizations could figure out a way to unlock that, I just, I know that organizations are more compassionate, empathetic, and the culture is so much greater. And there's, when you have a balance of, I think, men and women at the table, I think uh, there's so so many benefits because their skills are complementary. You know, from an organizational, like wide, if you had women in the leadership role, what do you think the benefits are? Like if it unlocks something that was never there before, like what do you think that is? I'm so glad you asked because, you know, there have been, you know, research studies conducted on this and reports published on this for a long time. You know, I can think back to one 15 years ago that talked about how boards that have greater female representation, companies at the executive leadership that have better female representation have better sustainability and longevity as a company. They have higher profits and a kind of a higher tenure among their employees. You know, I, in some ways, I'm just baffled by the fact that we haven't figured that out yet. And why are we not running, you know, to, to create better diversity on our boards and within our executive leadership teams um, so that we can have better profits, you know, ensure kind of longevity within our organizations. A complaint that I hear often is, well, the talent just isn't there. And I think there's a lot to unpack because one, if we're looking for male-oriented candidates, you're right, candidates aren't going to be there. So kind of going back to that learning and development and education piece, but also women, <laughs> um, and I'm we're going to be holding an event, an event in uh, July about this, but there's so much said around women and imposter oh, yeah. syndrome. Yeah. And I absolutely hate that term and mindset. Mm-hmm. I hate it because women show up every day. Women, you know, if they're coming out of the home and repatriating into the workforce, they've been running a small business with their home. They've been managing inventory control. They're budgeting. They're dealing with contracts. They're dealing with vendors and third parties. So what is imposter syndrome? I think it's a really awful inhibiting mindset um, and we have to get past that. I agree. I think where the imposter syndrome 
thing comes up is when people are probably navigating existing power structures, mm-hmm. um, especially for women, if they're, if they're like, okay, we've had male power structure in place in a leadership role, there's sort of like a glass ceiling. And of course people are going to feel inadequate. It's like, I can never move up because these power structures exist. I'm sure that's why they probably feel the way that they do. Do you agree? I do agree. And Bloomberg, I I listen to Bloomberg every morning and they had a really great conversation about this probably three weeks ago. And they were breaking down statistically the pathways for women into kind of executive leadership. And it was really interesting because statistically I can relate. Uh, I was talking to a headhunter a few years ago and I said, I'm really interested in a COO position just because I've worked with some really phenomenal COOs, but a CEO is a person that you know, gets in, problem solves, um, and figures it out, right? And in some ways, I've had to do that with HR, but I have a skill set towards that. And the headhunter told me and laughed and said, oh, that's never going to happen for you. And the Bloomberg discussion was statistically, women do not mirror the traditional pathways to executive leadership. So they're trying to find other ways to get there. And one way is to become an owner founder and, and run their own company. And we're seeing a lot of that even kind of within the local Utah market. Most women kind of in executive positions have had to start their own companies. And so, yes, we still have the barriers. Uh, we need to create better pathways um, and access uh, to get you know women into those executive leadership positions and boards. You just blew my mind, honestly, because I, I've never really thought about it that way, where women leave the workforce, go start their own thing, only to then go back and maybe mm-hmm. go back into the workforce to get a CEO or COO position. That seems uh, insane. Doesn't seem fair. It does, it's to your point earlier, you were saying women have been running households for years and keeping things together. Those are skills that match a CEO, CEO, mm-hmm. COO role, president role. Yeah, absolutely. I'm shocked by that. Mm-hmm. I wish I had a link to the study right now and I can research it because I'd love to share it with you after the podcast. So I'll kind of dig into Bloomberg and, and see what I can find. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a very real scenario that you know, is in play right now. And I, I think bringing awareness to that is great because if we can start the conversation and if, you know, we can understand what's happening within, you know, kind of the business community in the U.S., what a great opportunity to kind of operationalize and try to help improve. Yeah. If you look at the business environment or work environment, however you want to look at it, what do you think the skills are required for a successful CEO president type of role? And are women well positioned to lead organizations with the, those required skill sets? Like, I guess, in other words, do the leadership styles and skills that women have currently, do they match the modern day and future president CEO? Because I would say they absolutely do. I just know where the environment is. I'm curious what, what you think if you know women generally have further to go with skill building, uh, but I think they're ready. I, I agree. They're ready. They have been ready. I was reading an article, I think it was out of HBR a little bit ago, and I was talking about how CEOs now are chief visionary officers, you know, and they're there to set the vision. And women are fantastic at strategy and starting from a very broad view and then narrowing in where, you know, I do not want to categorize or misstate. And I think 
men generally are better at kind of starting narrow and then looking outward. And it's the reverse for women. So women actually are fantastic fighter pilots. And it's because they've demonstrated an aptitude for multitasking and then kind of being able to do many things at once, kind of, you know, focusing in the cockpit, but then also kind of looking outward, you know, into the, into the sky and kind of seeing what's coming at them or where they uh, need to be going. And so what better skill to translate to, you know, a CEO where you have to have a high degree of emotional intelligence. You have to have a high aptitude for managing, you know, multiple divisions or functions at one time and not only having the strategic foresight, but also, you know, understanding what's happening in the short term and running, you know, in the short term. And then of course you have to have a high degree of financial literacy and understanding that way. But (laughs) You know, there's millions of women in the financial industry and, uh, you know, finance is a numbers game Um, and it's all about leveraging and risk mitigation and assessment. And women are brilliant at that. So, yeah, I mean, it it should be a non-issue, right? It can be so stressful to choose the perfect swag to order for your company, especially when you're trying to find items that people will actually keep. That's why I'm thrilled to tell you about swag.com. Swag.com makes picking out corporate gifts simple and fun. In just a few easy clicks on Swag.com, I'm able to order customized products for my team. In fact, when I first learned about Swag.com, they sent me a custom swag box delivered right to my front door. It had the most beautiful packaging and stuffing. It had a t-shirt, water bottle, pens, and socks. And it felt very personalized. Now I can imagine sending one of these custom swag boxes direct to one of my new employees and how amazed and wowed that they'd be on their first day to receive a box like this. Swag.com makes it their business to offer a wide range of products so there's something for everyone. They carry premium brands like the North Face, Camelback, Ray-Ban, and more, all customized with your company's logo or artwork. And with Swag.com, you can easily set up a corporate gifting program for your team with no platform fees. Their team of expert curators are standing by to help you design the perfect gifts for your team. And for Transform Your Workplace listeners, we have a special offer for you. Right now, you can get 10% off your first order, but only when you go to swag.com slash TYW and enter promo code TYW10. Remember, for 10% off, go to swag.com slash TYW and use promo code TYW10. Now back to the show. When it comes to the pandemic, what has it taught you about leadership? And did, I don't know, remote work, uh, I imagine you've been probably working remotely for a while, especially starting a business. Has that shifted the way you're thinking about leadership? Yeah, that's a great question. I wrote an article for the Forbes Human Resource Council on this about how there was a shift in trust and how the pandemic accelerated trust. Because we we had the capability to work remotely you know, probably 10 to 15 years before the pandemic with, you know, considerably reliable Wi-Fi and hardware and software, you know, to to kind of work remotely, but it never happened. And that's because managers, leadership, executives still wanted to see people in the seats. No trust. (laughs) Yes. We were operating from a place of low trust. And with the pandemic, we had no choice. And what we realized was, oh, (laughs) this doesn't matter. You know, I, I, wholeheartedly believe most of us are showing up every day because we want to do our best work and we're aligning. And with the great resignation, we've seen this, but we're aligning to companies 
where we align to values and we are intrinsically motivated by the greater purpose. That's why we're coming to these companies. That's why we're showing up every day and you know, hopefully working within our area of expertise and genius. And so we don't need to monitor that. We don't need to track it. We don't need to treat people as if, you know, they're qualified for a role. So we hired them and now they have to prove themselves. Why don't we just get to work? And so we did see a lot of that shift through the pandemic. And I think it was a catalyst to the great resignation in some ways where some companies were more adept and agile in changing over to that um, where others weren't. And employees finally said, Hey, you know, I, I want to be trusted. I want to come to work and I want to align to, to a greater purpose. That article that you wrote in Forbes, I, th- I think the title was something like the, how the pandemic accelerated trust in organizations. But to your point just now, I, I think that is true for organizations who adapted and flexed because they had to. I mean, if they wanted to stay in business and they yes. wanted to be successful, they had to trust their people because they had to go remote or hybrid or whatever they did. And so they were forced to accelerate trust, whereas the the, the organizations that are probably struggling right now, they didn't adapt. They didn't trust their people. Right. I agree. Yeah. So I want to talk about HR a little bit because you talk about HR and I think HR is like this interesting function within an organization that could be such a great tool. It's sort of interwoven throughout the organization that touches the executive team, the managers, the contributing level employees. And it's been seen as this for, for years, this department of no, always on the employer side. And I just don't feel like that's true. I think it's a great function that can help build trust amongst the middle managers, give them tools, uh, help develop great culture. But I'm curious what you think as far as how the shift pre-pandemic to even current pandemic and even where we're going in the future with HR to departments, if there's trust with HR and if that relationship amongst all levels of the organization have changed? I know it's kind of a huge loaded question, but I'm curious how you think about HR departments in today's environment. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for asking. Uh, And there's a lot to share and I think it can, you know, be simplified um, and kind of like what we did with the, the gender equality discussion, you know, here I kind of want to trace back to some historical events where HR was born from the military when we were moving, you know, kind of our, our troops from World War II. And, you know, they were, they were coming out of the military and moving into, you know, the private sector. And we had to transfer those personnel records. And so that's, hmm. um, from my understanding, kind of where HR was born. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. And, and so if it has a very regimented beginning, then there's some understanding to, you know, how HR kind of gained this negative persona as being the no department. But really what HR is, is it's a business within a business. And we are serving internal customers. And we are partnering with managers and with leadership to ensure that the employees can have an amazing experience and that they are happy every day, that they're fulfilled and they have fulfilling opportunities that align to kind of the higher purpose and that they have psychological safety. And they can be trusted and they can trust the company. And so from that, if we look at it from this internal business and this internal kind of customer support strategic function, then I really think that remaps our mindset and maybe some of our sentiments towards it. And it's a strategic function and it supports the business goals and financial outcomes of the company. And we can harness the value of people to achieve those two things. And it, it has to start with honoring and recognizing 
the individual, recognizing that their support group or their family is a major factor in that. And then we treat everyone with dignity and they know their individual value. Million dollar question here. How does an organization that wants to succeed in the future and who wants to have an HR department that has trust amongst all the levels, how do you structure a department that's really effective? I, I believe the most effective way is to brand the HR department hmm. like we've done with our companies. So I was at a... Really? Yeah. So it's like a, a branded unit within, like a group within mm-hmm. the company. Yeah. So with one of my departments in the past where we were a development group and we had several brands underneath our belt. So, you know, in some ways we had to act as a centralized HR department, but we decentralized out to the brands. Um, And I'm a big believer in decentralization of HR. And so with that, what we did is we created our own logo. We had our kind of our tagline or slogan, and it was uh, caring for the one. And we established ourselves as your friends in HR And uh, we had our mission statement, which was that we were proactively preventive to drive, you know, value to the bottom line, aligning to the mission, but also taking care of each employee. And through that, we created high trust. We developed partnerships with leadership and managers and helped them have the tools so that they could provide a great employee experience or, you know, kind of high engagement for their team. That's really fascinating. Do you find that with that kind of structure and decentralization that trust increases throughout the organization? Absolutely, because it's based on human connection and helping amplify the connections between leadership and the employee base or managers and how to how to connect better uh, with with their team. I feel like that's what HR has been missing is the the human and human resources for yes. so many years. This was like policy driven and maybe that was the flaw we're all people and we're all going through something at some point and we're just, you know, we're just trying to do our best. And I think when HR succeeds, they're providing managers, leaders, contributing level employees with the tools that they need to, to do their best and show up their best. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's a partnership and I, you know, I really like the idea of it being a support department. You know, we're on the GNA, <laughs> you know, section of the GL, and that's, you know, how we kind of write the expense off on the books. But we're here, you know, to support, support the needs of the business and um, make sure that we're achieving the business strategy. And, you know, as HR professionals, we really need to understand and uh, I think be passionate about the industry and market that we're in. We have to understand the customer of the company and, in that way, we can better relate to, you know, the talent that we're bringing in. And if we have kind of that level of passion towards it, um, we're really serving the needs of the company and understanding our employees. Christine, if any of the listeners want to get in touch with you or follow your work, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. Thanks for asking, Brendan. Would love, you know, to connect with anyone interested. LinkedIn is a great way to connect with me. It's just uh, Christine Zorick. Um, last name is W-Z-O-R-E-K. Also, I can be reached at Christine at whitelabeladvisors.com um, and would love to continue the conversation. I think you're on all the social media platforms as well. Instagram, yes, Twitter, definitely. LinkedIn, all those places. So make sure to follow Christine there. My guest today has been Christine Zorick. Christine, it's been a pleasure talking about all these amazing subjects with you, gender equality, women in leadership, and in HR departments. I really appreciate you sharing all of your wisdom and hope to stay connected. Uh, likewise, Brandon. Thanks for having me on. I have a big smile on my face right now. I love talking about this and absolutely will stay connected.